And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swore unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy children. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over there. So Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 61, The Life and Death and Life of Moses. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. One evening in 1663, the English socialite Samuel Pepys decided to check out London's latest attraction, Jews who had just been allowed back into the country. Pepys sought out a typical synagogue service in order to get a sense of what was for him a foreign faith. Unbeknownst to Pepys, the day he had selected to visit seems to have been Simchat Torah, when Jews read the final chapters of Deuteronomy and celebrate completing the annual reading of the entire scroll with enthusiastic dancing. Pepys wrote in his diary as follows, Their service all in a singing way and in Hebrew, and anon their laws that they take out of the press are carried by several men, four or five several burdens in all, and they do relieve one another. And whether it is that everyone desires to have the carrying of it, I cannot tell. Thus they carried it round about the room while such a service is singing. And in the end, they had a prayer for the king, which they pronounced his name in Portugal, but the prayer like the rest in Hebrew. But Lord, to see the disorder, laughing, sporting, and no attention, but confusion in all their service, more like brutes than people knowing the true God, would make a man forswear ever seeing them more. And indeed, I never did see so much or could have imagined there had been any religion in the whole world so absurdly performed as this. End quote. It is amusing, but Pepys actually did witness the soul of Judaism, because for Jews, the Torah is an exquisite source of happiness, God's greatest gift. Understanding this will allow us to comprehend why Jews celebrate Simchat Torah, even as they read ostensibly sad sentences on what is one of the happiest Jewish days of the year. As we study the final words of the Torah, we may ourselves be overcome by sadness. And we may even begin to wonder whether we might also, with Samuel Pepys, inquire whether it is appropriate to joyously dance following the conclusion of such passages. Here is how the Torah of Moses comes to a close. After Moses bestows blessings on the tribes, he is told by God that his time has come. In his last moment, he ascends Mount Nebo and views the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swore unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy children. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over there. So Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he was buried in the valley of the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor, and no man knoweth of his grave unto this day. Of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these it might have been. We read of Moses passing away all alone. The man who had hoped to lead Israel into the Holy Land dies on the other side of the Jordan. The Torah elsewhere uses the usual scriptural metaphor for death. Moses, we are informed, will lie with his fathers. Yet we know that literally he will not do so. He will not be buried in the land of Israel. And the man who is not interred with his fathers will also not be visited by their children, 
for no one knows where he lies buried to this day. We are then informed in the final verses of Moses' unparalleled greatness. Verse 10, And there hath not risen a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and in all the mighty hand and in all the great fearsomeness which Moses wrought in the sight of all Israel. This is Moses, the man who could not enter the land, the man whose like we will never see again. Why then, when we read these words, when we complete the Torah, do we celebrate so? The answer must lie in the fact that it is the Torah that is the truest legacy of Moses, and that in celebrating its completion and in beginning it again, we highlight Moses' truest achievement, and we thereby ensure his immortality, as well as that of the entire Jewish people. And when we look carefully at some of Moses' last words, we find that he himself succinctly summarizes this for future generations. In a small sentence that precedes Moses' blessing, he describes his legacy as follows. Chapter 33, verse 4. Moses commanded to us the Torah, an inheritance to the congregation of Jacob. These are his words. And in the original Hebrew, they are some of the most well-known in Jewish history. According to the Talmud, it is this verse that is first taught to children from all those in the Bible. It is with these words that their education begins. With these words, they are introduced to Torah learning. And if so, this seemingly simple set of words must be pondered and parsed, for they apparently capture the heart of Moses himself. We start by reflecting on the first phrase. The Torah was commanded to us by Moses. It is on the face of it shocking. Is it not God who commanded the Torah? Are these not his laws? And yet, if this is the first verse that children learn, then they first hear of the Torah as affiliated with Moses. Strikingly, even as the Jewish Passover liturgy and ritual gives little credit to Moses for the Exodus, we still describe the Torah as Moses' achievement. God, through Judaism, bestows the credit for teaching Torah on human beings, thereby ensuring that in Jewish history, it will be the teachers of Torah that will be celebrated and revered. We do not make mention of Moses in the Haggadah. We do not describe his actions in performing the plagues and splitting the sea. We focus on, we revere him for, what he did after the Exodus, teaching, transmitting the Torah to the people of Israel. As Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik wrote, quote, If one teaches the people and elevates them to new spiritual heights, if he is their mentor and teacher, then his contribution is not only recorded, but is glorified as if he were the origin of all that spiritual greatness, as if he deserved the gratitude of the people forever. End quote. Why is teaching so central to Jewish life? The answer can be found in the next phrase of our verse. The Torah is an inheritance, a morasha, for the congregation of Jacob. As many note, the word used in Hebrew here for inheritance, morasha, is slightly different from the usual one, yerusha. The standard term yerusha refers to, say, an estate, which transfers automatically from one generation to the next. If a parent passes away, the child automatically inherits. But morasha can be translated rightly as that which is passed down and received. Torah, as Rabbi Yisachar Frand explained, is called morasha because it will only be inherited if the next generation works to learn it, to imbibe it, to acquire it. Only, in other words, if a link between past and posterity will be formed. And that is why 
teaching that's so critical to Judaism because of this bond. Morasha means that the Torah truly taught, truly transmitted, eagerly imbibed, creates an eternal connection between generations. Perhaps the most profound and poignant reflection of this aspect of Judaism comes from Rabbi Soloveitchik in a personal moment of reflection. He said, quote, Whenever I enter the classroom, which is crowded with boys, who could be as far as age is concerned, my grandchildren, I enter the classroom as an old man. I am old, with a wrinkled face and eyes reflecting fatigue and the sadness of old age. You have to be old, Rabbi Soloveitchik continued, in order to experience that sadness. It's a very strange sadness. It's the melancholy of remembering things, things which disappear, they don't exist. When I enter a classroom, I sit down, and opposite me are rows of boys, young boys with beaming eyes, beaming faces, clear eyes, radiating the joy of being young. Always I enter, you know, I enter in a very pessimistic mood. I always enter the class in despair. And I ask myself, I mean, every time I enter the classroom, can there be a dialogue between an old teacher and young students? between a Rebbe in his Indian summer and boys enjoying the spring of their lives. End quote. Rabbi Soloveitchik then describes what it means metaphysically to deliver what is called a shiur, the Torah lecture. His classroom, he says, is visited by the spirit of his grandfather, Rabbi Chaim of Brisk. He says, quote, I start the shiur. I don't know what the conclusion will be. Whenever I start the shiur, the door opens. Another old man walks in and sits down. He is older than I am. All the Talmidim, Talmidim means students. All the Talmidim call me the Rav. He is older than the Rav. He is the grandfather of the Rav. His name is Reb Chaim Brisker, and without whom no shiur can be delivered nowadays. Then the door opens quietly again and another old man comes in. He is older than Reb Chaim. He lived in the 17th century. End quote. Rabbi Soloveitchik goes on to describe the medieval rabbinic sages who also enter his lecture hall. Among them Maimonides, known as Rambam, and Maimonides' great interlocutor from Provence, Abraham ben David, known as Ravad. Rabbi Soloveitchik says, quote, And then more visitors show up. Some of the visitors lived in the 11th century, some in the 12th century, some in the 13th century, some lived in antiquity. End quote. And Rabbi Soloveitchik describes the discussion that ensues, a real link between his students and all those who have come before. Rabbi Soloveitchik said, I introduce them to my pupils, and the dialogue commences. The Rambam says something, the Ravad disagrees, and sometimes he's very nasty, very sharp, harsh language he uses against the Rambam. A boy jumps up to defend the Rambam against the Ravad, and the boy is fresh. You know how young boys are fresh, so the language he uses is improper. He uses improper language. So I correct him. That's what Rabbi Soloveitchik says. He goes on then at one point to introduce a central phrase. Suddenly he says, a symposium of generations comes into existence. That is Rabbi Soloveitchik's phrase. That for him is the essence of what is called misora, transmission. And he adds, quote, this unity of generations, this march of centuries, this conversation of generations, this dialogue between antiquity and present will finally bring the redemption of the Jew. Let me tell you, Rabbi Soloveitchik continued, that at the conclusion of three and sometimes four hours, I mean, I have here a witness, I emerge young and elated, younger than my pupils. They are tired exhausted. Some of them yawn. I feel happy. I have defeated age. I have defeated oldness. I emerge young, less fatigued, less exhausted than my young pupils. We belong, Rabbi Soloveitchik continues, to the same Masora community where generations meet, where hands, no matter how wrinkled and parchment dry one hand is, and how soft and wan the other hand is, shake, unite, and in a community, 
where the great dialogue continues. End quote. Thus, the ending of the Torah is a cause for what is called Simchat Torah, the joy of Torah. Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Moses commanded us the Torah. So we sing when children are first taught Torah, and we also celebrate with joy as we read this verse on the holiday when we finish the Torah. Because we know that in describing his own legacy this way, Moses is ensuring his immortality. The Torah joins generations, connects heaven and earth. When Ilan Ramon, the first Israeli in space, went aboard the shuttle Columbia, he felt that he was representing his country and the Jewish people. And he had been pondering what to take up into space with him to represent the story of his nation. And he ultimately took with him a tiny Torah scroll that a heroic rabbi by the name of Rabbi Simon Dasberg had used secretly in Bergen-Belsen to teach a Jewish boy for his bar mitzvah in the midst of the horror. Rabbi Dasberg ultimately perished in the camps. Ilan Ramon spoke about the Torah live to Israel. Holding Rabbi Dasberg's Torah scroll, he said to all the Israelis listening to him, Ze Sefer Torah Katan, this is a tiny Torah scroll. Shalifne Shishim Shana, Yelet Katan Bebergen Belsen Kibeloto Me'arav Shal Amsterdam, Shalimedoto Lekrata Bar Mitzvah. That 60 years ago, a small boy in Bergen Belsen received from the rabbi from Amsterdam who taught him as they approached his bar mitzvah. V'yachshav, he says, and now, hu iti bachalal, it is with me in space. Zechevel mekasher ma'od meragesh, this is a tie that binds, that is emotionally inspiring. And for a moment, for one incredible moment, Ramon lessened his grip on the Torah and it began to float further toward the heavens. Rabbi Dasberg's daughter, who was interviewed in a documentary about Ilan Ramon, later said, It was, she said, a hello from the heavens, a sign of life from the past. In the end, that is what the Torah is for us, a sign of life from the past. That is why we can read of Moses' death in the Torah and still feel that he lives. And even if Samuel Pepys could not understand the joy that Jews found in the Torah, Another non-Jewish visitor to a very Jewish gathering ultimately reflected that he understood it very well. Several years ago, a group of Catholic cardinals and archbishops visited the study hall, the Beit Midrash in Yeshiva University, where hundreds of students sit and study Talmud together in pairs, or chavrutas. One visitor, then Archbishop of Philadelphia, Charles Chaput, was so impressed by what he saw that he delivered a homily in his cathedral about the experience, which he ultimately published under the title Yeshiva Lessons. He wrote, What struck me at first was the passion the students had for the Torah. They didn't merely study it, they consumed it. Or maybe it would be better to say that God's Word consumed them. When a man and woman fall in love, a kind of electricity runs not just between them, but also in the air around them. End quote. And Shapu added, I saw this in the students at Yeshiva. Shapu is right, and he has perhaps unintentionally hit upon a rabbinic saying. For the Talmud chose to read the word morasha, the scriptural description of the Torah, in another way as well. Morasha kihilat Yaakov, literally an inheritance for the congregation of Jacob, was homiletically rendered maorasa kihilat Yaakov, which means that the Torah creates a betrothal for the congregation of Jacob. Through the Torah, our marital relationship with God is formed. And Shapu's further reflections also captured what morasha has meant to us, 
an inheritance passed down that ensures Jewish eternity. Archbishop Shapu wrote, quote, I saw in the lives of those Jewish students the incredible durability of God's promises and God's word. Despite centuries of persecution, exile, dispersion, and even apostasy, the Jewish people continue to exist because their covenant with God is alive and permanent. God's word is the organizing principle of their identity. It's the foundation and glue of their relationship with one another, with their past, and with their future. And the more faithful they are to God's word, the more certain they can be of their survival. End quote. We read of Moses' death, but we celebrate the gift of the Torah that he gave to us. For we know that through it, he lives still, and that thanks to him, we, the Jewish people, have the gift of life. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, praying that we all be inscribed this Yom Kippur in the Book of Life. Signing off. <laughs>